we have a very special guest with us today. This gentleman is an award-winning filmmaker, a documentarian, and a powerful voice in the toy collecting community, and a podcaster. Some of his films include Nintendo Quest, Powers of Grayskull, the definitive Masters of the Universe documentary, Kitty, Origins and Evolutions, and Video Game Box Art. You can hear him and his wife on their podcast, Mouthcast. His latest film, Action Figure Adventure, where he and his friend Jay look for rare toys to auction off for charity, will be released later this year. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together no matter where you are for this all-around great guy, Mr. Rob McCallum. Welcome to the show, sir. Welcome. Thanks. I'm really curious about how many people are clapping <laughs> at your request to have them put their hands together. It would be a good stat to know if people do that or if they, or if they just like to hear or the, the sentiment of clapping. But yeah. thank you for that lovely introduction. That was incredible. You make me sound like I've done something worthwhile or at least done a lot of things. Oh, you have, sir. You have. And so, I can see your shirt now, too. Oh, my goodness. You yep. uh, are a proud supporter, which doesn't surprise me because you supported a lot of my uh, documentary endeavors. And you're now wearing an action figure adventure shirt that you got from one of our partners at Retro Rags. That's right. It's very cool to see. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait for it. So let's get into it real quick before we okay. get into our topic. So <laughs> the Ultimate Action Figure Auction will take place on August 13th this year at 8 p.m. Eastern. What can you tell us more about it? Like how to register, how to place bids? Yeah, well, the, the simple thing is if everybody just visits www.actionfigureadventure.com, they'll see our site. It's probably not up just yet as we're recording, but it'll be up soon. And you'll get to see the, the 10 items that Jay culminated on his journey across the 10 episodes. And this is where it all comes down to it. This is the auction. This is the, the main event uh, where it, everything goes off and gets sold in support of, of charity. All the auctions are going to go through eBay just to make it super easy for everybody. Most people are familiar with that format. It's worldwide. It's safe. PayPal credit cards. It's just a very easy platform for people to get behind. And all the auctions will start about a week before, so around the 6th or the 7th of August, and end on the 13th. And we're putting together a live event broadcast with a host and panelists. So it'll be a little bit like a sports draft. The time will be ticking down. The auctions will be staggered five to ten minutes apart from each, uh, from each, uh, each other. You'll hear panelists chime in on the different items that are up. Uh, and then we'll see what happens as the time ticks down, what it goes for, some reactions from our panelists, and then we're on to the next item. Uh, there'll be some video packages, of course, detailing what some of these items are. But everybody in the world is going to be able to bid on these items. Now, this is a whole construct that wasn't originally planned, but is now in place because of COVID. Originally, we were going to do an old school paddle race type event uh, live here in our hometown of London, Ontario, but we can't do that now. It doesn't make sense to try to get people into a condensed space, shoulder to shoulder, hoping everything is going to be all right. So we're going to bring it online, which means a little bit more work on our part. But we think we're going to have a few more pros on, on our side as well to do this uh, versus con. So every week we're releasing an item or two, letting people know what's out there. We've already released two items to the public, uh, which can be viewed on Jay's YouTube channel. And of course, on Facebook.com slash Action Figure Adventure. We've revealed a carded Shira and a box Megatron as well. So more is going to be revealed. We're going in uh, ascending order, starting at number 10, going to number one. So we think that the items are only going to get better as time ticks by and gets us closer to that magical date of August 13th at 8 p.m. when our broadcast starts and the auctions wind down. 
So where did the idea come from? Uh, why do a charity? Well, uh, honestly, it came from Nintendo Quest in part, which again is another documentary you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, in which I follow Jay, whose lifelong dream was to own an entire NES collection. Uh, I gave him 30 days to do it because I couldn't afford to shoot any longer. And I said, hey, just put your life on hold for 30 days if you can and see if you can get that dream. So we went over 10,000 miles, all the mom and pop shops, and he was collecting for himself. And that was great. And over the years since its release, and it's coming up on its fifth anniversary, if you could believe that, uh, we thought, well, what could we do as a follow-up or something in the same vein? I'm like, I don't know, man. I just don't feel like it's worth following you around to do something, whether it's comic books or action figures or video games, so that something ends up on your shelf. There's got to be a, a bigger a bigger kind of mission here. It's not like a higher calling. So we thought, well, what about like charity? Like he's like, well, what are we going to do? Like just give, you know, a charity organization, a bunch of action figures. And we just started talking. He's like, well, let's do an auction. He had been doing some charity work with a, a cosplay group that he had started uh, with a charity that was local. And he said, you know what, let's, let's benefit these guys. It's the Children's Health Foundation, you know, it, kids, action figures, that makes sense in our head. Action figures are a part of their program anyways. They give the kids a figure to hang on to so that they feel a little bit better as they go through different you know daily medical procedures and mm -hmm. things that just kind of you know they need a good pick-me-up so that action figure when they hold superman they feel like they're invulnerable when they hold you know batman they feel like they're unstoppable right so it just made sense on a bunch of levels to kind of let's go on a crusade not for ourselves but let's use the power of community to help raise some money and and really do some good in the world give these characters that represent enormous power that kind of power to the kids so then that was kind of the basis on it and everybody had been asking well you know if you could do a sequel to nintendo quest what would you do differently and it's all the first answer has always been i'd want to do as a series because it was always really hard to cut down the 30 days of filming all those stores that we visited into 90 minutes so to be able to have like 10 episodes which is what we ended up with for action figure adventure to have more time to spend in the stores is, is just way more interesting from a hunting perspective to see more of the stuff that's out there it helps the stores out a little bit because they get featured a little bit more because it's a little bit more in depth and i think right now too everybody really likes the binge watching aspect you know once you get into a series you really want to see what happens on the next episode so it was just checking all the right boxes really so do you have any idea what we can expect uh, well, how many episodes besides the 10? Because I know you mentioned some bonus stuff. Yeah. So in Canada, we pre-sold it to Super Channel, and it'll be on their Jinx Esports TV platform, which had previously bought Nintendo Quest and Box Art for me. So we've got a really good relationship with those guys, and they're just outstanding and fantastic partners to work with. So we're really happy that, that Action Figure Adventures has found a home there. Because COVID has come up, it's kind of altered our timelines a bit. Originally, it was going to broadcast uh, sometime in November, but we were near the tail end of production, and I, we've had to cancel a bunch that we had planned. Things got delayed a little bit as we're as we're readjusting. The online auction, of course, is one of those adjustments that we've had to do, as well as some other uh, in-studio cinematic shooting of the figures that was on hold for a while. Too. So we found a way to kind of get caught up with that in the interim, but we're hoping that it can still happen by the end of the year in Canada. Now we have signed with a distributor for the rest of the world, but we can't announce it yet because they want to make sure we're closer to our release date and that the series is all, you know, tidied up and, and tucked away so that they can shop it closer to when the buyer can get it. Then we can announce and make a really big deal. But I will tell you the distributor that we have licensed the series to 
is a big fan of toys. They they do really great things. We couldn't have we couldn't ask for a better partner. Really, it, it's like the dream come true in terms of well, who should handle this? Well, these guys should handle this. Obviously, that's that's a te- that's a great team up. You've interviewed fans, toy collectors, and people that work in the industry. What have you learned from this experience? Uh, that collectors all have different opinions on everything, <laughs> and I think that's a great thing. Uh, we our, our episodes, there's 10 of them, and I know you asked about additional stuff. We're doing an after show as well, so for every main episode, we'll have a companion piece where Jay and I talk about what happened, and we'll be including some backers within that. But our episodes are kind of split 50-50 between Jay on the hunt and discussion topics about things within the action figure world. So talking about play sets, talking about scale, talking about uh, play features, talking about uh, what an adult collector is. And it's not that kind of adult collector, but adult collector, you know, a different adult toys, if, if, if you will. And you can start with a very general vague question and talk to 20 people and get very different answers. And that's awesome because it, it just shows that nobody's trying to like, you know, tote the line or fall into like a certain group of people or click. Everybody's coming at this for, with genuine passion about what they love and what they think is best for them. And unlike video games, I think where there's only a couple different console makers out there in history, traditionally, it's like, you know, less than 20. There's so many different action figure lines. Even though the history of, you know, action figures is, you know, like 70 years ish, there's so many different things and there's so many different aspects uh, about them that appeal to people that it's really hard to get territorial. Like say, I'm a Nintendo fan and Nintendo only, or I'm a Sega fan or an Atari fan. It's a lot easier to draw lines and sand that I've noticed compared to some of the, the gaming people that we that we've worked with. And I understand where those lines are drawn too. But action figures, like the lines, like the characters, like the features, like the colors and the scale varieties, there's different answers for all those different collectors. And it's really awesome. And it really provides me a lot of opportunities to tell that story and showcase all the different voices that exist in the community. So that was interesting to see all the different responses. And that's what I learned the most because I had no idea how people were going to react to my questions. I observed some of the filming of Action Figure Adventure and some of the responses he was getting were were truly unique from fans. I was able to talk to some fans about their collections and it's amazing what some of the people were very passionate about when talking about action figures. So, Rob, what's your favorite toy line? I should have known that you were going to ask this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it it comes and goes. I mean, I'm a huge He-Man fan, obviously. You know, making Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters Universe. I would have to be a He-Man fan. I probably like classics a little bit more than vintage. I grew up having, you know, the majority of the vintage when I was a kid. There were some family experiences that had it get sold on me and whatnot, and I started collecting again. Huge Turtle fan. I think I probably remember playing with the Playmates Turtles the most. Uh, recently, I had acquired a lot for the sake of the series to shoot some figures. And when I held those turtles again for the first time in 30 years, it was an instant time machine. I saw all those different stories just by holding a couple of the figures in my hand, positioning the accessories in their arms. So that was pretty magical. I like Dick Tracy a lot as well, which is kind of obscure. Not a lot of characters. Never had the blank, of course. Um, but yeah, that was another good one. I was never huge into Transformers. I had a couple. Never huge into G.I. Joe. Had a couple. Uh, Ghostbusters was a big line. And they always kind of mixed and matched with the Turtles a bit because it was similar scale and size. 
Batman was always a big one. So, I mean, there's no real answer what my favorite is. It's kind of like what looks cool. Recently, I'm into a lot of the Mondo stuff, like the Mondo Turtles that came out in 2017 are just awesome. I love their Batman animated series figures. And I like most of the, the Masters figures that they've released as well. Yeah, I'm loving the Mondo stuff right now. Their turtle figures are the definitive turtles, in my opinion. I also just bought the Man-at-Arms figure. You've seen pretty much every toy in existence through your hunting. What is your holy grail? Well, I don't know that I've seen every toy in existence. I'm certainly not, you know, an expert or historian. I, I think I probably know a little bit more than the average person, but like, you know, every fan of these lines you get so deep into it you just have to know every little bit of it and i've probably got a little bit more surface knowledge spread across the table than i do depth some lines i know a little bit about because i get obsessed too as a collector of course <laughs> i don't know what my, my grails are i really like a lot of the amigo stuff lately that's really oh. fascinating uh one line that I, I got kind of into by proxy on power of grayskull i don't have a lot of it it's big jim i thought some of that stuff is cool like oh. a lot of the real world adventure type stuff like early gi joe and a line that I discovered that I didn't know anything about or didn't even see before that I learned from Action Figure Adventure was the official Boy Scout figures that they had. So they have a figure called Steve Scout. It's a nine-inch scale, so it's really obscure size. And they have a Cub Scout figure that goes with it. And like the Big Jim and like, you know, the G.I. Joe adventure team and stuff, they have like, you know, let's go to Radio Tower and stuff. And they have a little diorama place that... It's just a really good size, really excellent made figures, lots of articulation and joints. Just really obscure, but for some reason, just like holding Steve's guy, I was like, oh, this is a really cool figure. And I would have never expected that. Uh, in terms of grails, I mean, it's... From doing all the research, I would say the grail that probably stands out is Marvel Secret Wars Electro on card or Iceman, which were European releases for the Secret Wars line. They were never over here. But to get those on card would be great. They're only like 600 bucks, so it's not like anything crazy in the thousands of dollars. But they're they're pretty cool and rare figures that you don't see too often. And, you know, I love superheroes growing up. That's a line from when I was growing up. Uh, it would be cool. Clark Kent, Superpowers would be another one, which was a mail-away exclusive, too. Um, nothing, like, too crazy. Like, pretty standard, I'd say. But, yeah, those would be, you know, at home in my collection. Was the um, the Big Jim, was that like Captain Action? I don't know Captain Action. See, now you're you're schooling me. Look at you. <laughs> uh, Captain Action was like he was just um, kind of like a Barbie doll size figure, but he was sold where he could be dressed up like Thor, a Loki, um, and Batman. Okay. And then there was a supposedly an unproduced Rocketeer one they were going to do when the movie came oh out. wow yeah that that if it's legit it, it looked pretty cool but uh he was more i think from the 60s and 70s and then i just happened to see it one day in toys r us back when toys r us was around and i was like who's kept in action and the reason why i caught my eye was because he was dressed like thor um right but uh that's i'm not too familiar with big jim though that's why i was asking yeah. Yeah, so Big Jim is just like a really kind of active kind of guy. He He's into Kung Fu. He's into going off into the jungle. It, the big action feature with him is that when you pulled his arm, he had a bicep that would actually bulge. Oh, wow. And he would sell it with a rubber band so that you could see it bulge when, when he moved. A lot of the molds from the Big Jim line went on to get reused in the Masters line, like the, like the Tiger, like Cringer. 
and Battle Cat was from the Big Gym line, which in the scale makes a lot more sense in Big Gym. But when you look at He-Man, like the scale of that tiger is like crazy. It's like a horse. So that's why they put a saddle on it. Are those the toys <laughs> that they um, put the clay on to make the, the very first um, attempt of a He-Man figure in, in the dock that you showed? Yeah, they, they, they kind of repurposed. Repurposed, like yeah. Okay. Tom, you're itching to jump in here. Come on, jump in the discussion. I see you oh, want to share knowledge. It's the Roger Sweet three. Yeah, that's where that's where those figures came from. Roger Sweet grabbed Big Jim figures, put clay on them, and they became the He Man three. So, aside from a collector's point of view, is there also a history aspect to your documentary? Like, do you go into any depth on any of the toy lines? Well, you know, one of the biggest questions we get asked is, how is your series different than what's out there? And there's really only two other series that I can really point to in the toy world that are out there. There's Plastic Crack and there's the toys that made us. Now, the Plastic Crack is a little bit more on the indie side. It's released on Amazon Prime and Vimeo right now. Uh, and they really focus on the collectors and the collections that they have. And they, man, there's just some like eye candy like you wouldn't believe. If you just... If you want to talk about like toy pornography, like that's what that is. You just sit there and you just draw. You're like, oh my God, I'm in heaven right now for these, you know, 30 to 40 minutes per episode that they got. And they're working on a season two, which sounds exciting. And then you got the toys that made us, which is a deep dive, strictly history based on how the lines that, you know, that made us or that we played with the most as kids came to fruition and what some of those ebb and flow moments were for that. For action figure adventure, like Nintendo Quest, like some of the other films I've done, it's it's the journey. It's the personal journey following a guy, Jay Bartlett, the guy, as we call him. How far is he going to go? What is he willing to do? What obstacles is he going to overcome? He's playing a game, right? He's got $5,000 US that he's putting off of his own money to buy these toys and hoping that he can have a great enough margin that he can donate as much as possible when these things get auctioned off. Along the way, we talk about other stuff, but it's not a history-driven thing, mainly because I think the toys that made us did a really excellent job on history. And having gone through the whole history trope of Power of Grayskull, I didn't want to do that again. Because guess what? When you do a history doc and something new happens, it's already dated. Right. We're seeing, what, two new He-Man shows? That makes Power of Grayskull dated. We didn't even get a chance to talk about the new She-Ra show in the mm -hmm. He-Man documentary. So now right. it's like, oh, this was before all that came out. And I hate those asterisks. <laughs> so we definitely discuss action figure history, but in broad strokes. But it's much more of a qualitative approach, opinions and kind of discussion than it is about facts and figures. And I think because of that, like I said, with everybody chiming in on different, you know, viewpoints on where they come from and what makes them tick and what their experience is, it becomes a much richer experience. And then you don't get overlap because the toys that made us and their, you know, He-Man episode cover a lot of the same stuff that we do in Power of Grayskull. And it's like, okay, well, what is the yield? How is this new? Well, it's not because the story doesn't change. It's history. Right. You know, so we definitely needed to go in a different direction. I said, let's just go qualitative. Let's have these discussion points. These discussions are going to be evergreen. Even when you hear these topics that run, you know, from five to seven minutes each per episode, you're going to come away thinking this is how I feel about play sets. And you're going to be able to carry on that conversation with other people. So it's not the final word on it. It's just an exploration of all these things. And it's much stronger than I think any kind of history based show. Nice. Cool. So what documentaries are you into? Like, uh, what are your, you mentioned um, Toys That Made Us, but is there any docs about toys that you are interested in that you didn't make? That all that I didn't make? <laughs> oh, no, I only like the stuff I make, Tom. I only like the stuff I make. 
I, I like Plastic Crack. I mean, I haven't watched the whole mm-hmm. series yet, but it's interesting to see, you know, how they're crafting it and what they're focusing on. Toys That Made Us, again, it is really cool. Uh, some of the Lego documentaries out there, there's a brickumentary. I don't know if you guys have seen that. There's uh, oh, yeah. a documentary on yeah, Monopoly called the documentary on Monopoly called Under the Boardwalk, which is really good as well. There, there's some A&E just like biographies on the history of toys that are good. Right. Most of the documentaries I watch are like true crime, real life. Like you couldn't make this kind of stuff up. Truth is stranger than fiction. Oh, do you find it difficult if you're watching a toy doc um, to shut off your brain and just to try to enjoy it? Or like you would, or do you think like, oh, I would have X, I would have done this if I was making this documentary or... Do you ever have that problem? It's a weird cycle. Usually if I get into something, those switches turn off until I get to the point where like I start thinking about how I would do it because I'm so like into it that I'm like, wow, that was really effective. What was effective about it? Is that something that I can pull off? How would I do it differently? So usually if I can get into it, those switches go off right away and I can just sit back and enjoy it. But the second it's over, all those switches, you know, turn back on and I start dissecting it little things will pull me out if there's a focus issue if there's color correction that's off if camera work is you know shaky if the edit right. is weird the voiceover sounds strange or a quote is long so it doesn't take much to pull me out of the the enjoyment but it's because i'm in this industry and i right. i look at stuff like yeah. that all the time so right. as long as i get hooked i'm in you know like anybody so what can you tell us about mr dress up i know that's your latest project yeah, well, we started shooting our documentary on Mr. Dress Up at the same time as Action Figure Adventure. So I've been doing both of these in tandem. So shooting a 10 episode series for Action Figures and then Mr. Dress Up as a feature at the same time has been a lot to manage. Uh, most people probably aren't going to know Mr. Dress Up unless you're from Canada. He's like Canadian royalty. He's like our biggest probably television star ever. Uh, he's kind of like Canada's Mr. Rogers. Uh, he did, uh, he hosted a preschool show for two to five year olds from 67 to 96 and then 10 more years in reruns over 4,000 episodes produced uh, and nobody's ever done a documentary on him so last couple of years I mean we've seen some documentaries on Mr. Rogers come out one documentary and one narrative and you know I thought well man how come Canada doesn't have their version of this out yet and I started digging into it and went down the rabbit hole and not only did I find really fascinating history about how it was created but there's a really interesting legacy story surrounding it as well that I think is really global and universal. And we can't wait to share that with everybody uh, because it's not just about how Canadian kids grew up and what they watched and how they made that show, which was like for pennies. They had like a $25 costume budget, which you'd think for like a show called Mr. Dress Up, they would have more money in costumes. But the show is about resourcefulness and doing what you can with your imagination and picking up household common items and making more out of it with your mind so is that on a lot of that uh there are a few episodes on youtube but they're regionally locked to canada right now so unless you live in canada or you're really tech savvy and can use a vpn uh you're probably not going to be able to catch that out but i mean here's one cool fascinating thing about mr dress up they shot it live to tape so it was like a theatrical performance with three cameras shooting live nonstop, all the way through 30 straight minutes wow yeah so they, they did a lot of work to, to get that working. There's puppets in it. They did drawing segments. There's musical guests. So queuing that up and doing multiple episodes a week is a, is a lot of work. Have you been getting um, a good buzz from people, like fellow Canadians, who are like, oh, I love oh, that yeah. show as a kid? 
Yeah, I mean, our Facebook page is, is going nuts for it. I mean, we launched our page in April, and within two weeks, we had over 10,000 likes. So it's very nice. It's it's going crazy. We just signed an executive producer to come on board who works for one of Canada's like biggest and most well-known production companies. So he's going to come on board and help shepherd us. Uh, we've got options when we're done already to have it screened theatrically, possibly nice. broadcast homes. We're looking at, of course, streaming and, uh, you know, home video as well. That's so it's, it's the no brainer that finally happened kind of deal. Like, of course, there should be a documentary on this because it impacted five generations of Canadians. How come there wasn't? Well, now there is. And it's like, of course, we'll, you know, take it and help get it out there. So just the name alone has people excited, which always is a really good sign. Right. I, I, grew up and so like in the 80s and uh canadian tv i saw was degrassi i would so yeah. i would like love to see like a documentary about that about the history of that that whole series I'm, I'm sure there's something out there you know just yeah. like growing up relatively close to toronto i'm in london which is two hours away i never got into degrassi really? i never watched junior high or regular uh, I know friends of mine that did and they'd go visit like the school that they filmed that two okay. hours away from here and stuff but I know names like Joey Jeremiah, but I don't know anything <laughs> about the show yeah. at all. I'm completely lost for whatever reason. But I hear that Degrassi is that weird touchstone for a lot of Americans when they think yeah. of Canadian culture. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was weird because that was our health class, and the teacher would just come in and put put the show on, and that was our that was health in uh, grammar school. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Here's a fun little action figure sort of fact for you guys. Allison Court was a series regular on Mr. Dress Up uh, when she was 9, 10, and so on. She was also in Follow That Bird, which is the first Sesame Street movie. Then she went into Star on Big Comfy Couch. But you guys would probably oh, know I her. I know Big Comfy Couch. Most fans like, would probably know her as the voice of Jubilee in the animated X-Men show, though, from the 90s, oh, as well okay. as a ton of video game work after and other series, too. So she's. She's awesome. She was Lunette on Big Comfy Couch. She's she the clown. Was she the clown? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that show. <laughs> yeah. There you go. We're okay. connecting, Ian. We're connecting. <laughs> well, Rob, I know you're pressed for time, so thank you for joining us. It's always been a pleasure. Yeah, man. Um, thank you uh, once again, and thanks for all your help. Every time we seem to be filming, you seem to grab a light stand or grab some cases of gear and help move it, and you provided some necessary illumination when we got our chance to interview Kevin Smith for Action Figure Adventure. So oh, yeah. that was cool. And you snapped behind the scenes shots too for us, which was pretty awesome of you. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Uh, give my best to uh, the missus and your family. And uh, I'm looking forward uh, to the next episode of Mouthcast. Oh, well, yeah, that's, I've gone hiatus due to COVID right now. It's, it's a tough one to get out there when we're when we're caught up maybe we'll return to visit it maybe we won't but it was fun when we got to do it we know that for sure so yeah definitely we'll try cool thanks guys i right. appreciate it thank, thank you. you take care sure. take care so um tom since we were just discussing toy docs with uh rob and um the toys that made us kind of well does focus on the old toys i was thinking recently how when you're a toy collector, you never get out of toys. So are there toys today that still make us? Are you asking what toys still make us? Yeah, no idea what I said. <laughs> yeah, so so the toys that made us mm -hmm. is all about the toys when we were kids. 
you know, like He-Man, Star Wars and stuff. Right. But when you're a collector, it's kind of like you never get out of toys. We're, we're still collecting or buying or whatever people do with their toys. They open them, shoot them, play with them, whatever. Mm-hmm. What toys today, new toys, would be the toys that made us? Would it be pops? Would it be reaction? Would it be, in your opinion? Because, I mean, I'm sure everybody has. I mean, it could be the re, re, recreations of the uh, the He-Man. It could be the new Star Wars. But, like, for for you, what, what do you think? Do you think that's a... And a, a correct saying that toys continue to make us, even though we're supposed to be grownups. Oh, definitely. For me personally, Masters of the Universe classics. Although as an adult now, I'm, I'm like Rob. I am drawn to the Mondo stuff. Their Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle line are, is my definitive turtles. I mean, I, to this day, I still haven't purchased a, another turtle item after those came out. I am drawn to the Mesco stuff now, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is similar to Mego, but it's so much more advanced. Like just the other day, I was looking at the uh, uh, Mesco Ghostbusters and okay, all the intricate detail, the lights, the sounds, the, the clothing, the you know, attention to detail, the articulation. I mean, these are not the toys that made us, but the toys that I I, continue to make us. The toys that grew with us. It's good. good. Yeah. That's a good point. Toys grew up. We grew up. Right. Like Um, I, here's how I've always uh, looked at masters of the universe. When I was a child, I had the vintage. That was my introduction to life. 2000X, I was in college. And now in classics, I'm an adult. So every generation of my life, there's always been a He-Man figure. Every generation has a story. Yeah. Or a beginning, sorry. <laughs> Prequels yeah. there. One of my favorite characters from the classics line is King He-Man. Like when I'm old and gray, that and my... Uh, Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller, Batman will be the only two action figures I'll be playing with at, you know, 70. So, um, classic He-Man is the modern day. Yes. Okay. Because it's funny because you would think classic is like the vintage line. Just from from an outsider view. It was loosely based on the vintage line. Right. But they were made more recently. Right. And... Uh, like 10 years ago now. I, I It's funny because I keep saying this to you, but like the more we do this show, the more I get into He-Man. And like, <laughs> I, I, I liked it as a kid. Don't get me wrong. But like I, I sent you a text the other day of uh, that picture of the book. I was like, what is this? And you were like, it was a newspaper strip. I was like, I didn't even know they had those. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. it's just the more I learn about it, which is one of the things I could watch and rewatch um, Rob's uh, He-Man doc because I don't have that much knowledge. So it's like, it's, it's enjoyable where you can rewatch something over and over. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting that collecting bug where I was like, I want to start collecting He-Man and I haven't bought anything, but I'm like, some of these things are pretty cool. And you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, when, when, once you get that collecting bug, it's like, there's no cure for it. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I was talking to someone from a shared universe the other day, and he was recently got the collecting bug. I mean, it's it's who you are, really. You know, sometimes you're a collector, sometimes you're an admirer. And you know what the hardest part is? I find when you're if you say you're good for a while, you haven't bought anything. Once you buy one thing, it's just like a snowball. You just can't stop. Right. You know, it's like, oh, this is uh, one more, one more, one more. And it's just like the next thing you know, you're getting yelled at because you bought too much stuff. Um, you know, I, I have that habit. It's just like once I get started collecting, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in deep. I'd be buying every He-Man I could if I could. <laughs> But, uh, so what about you? What's the toys that are making you today? Well, that's the thing. I haven't really bought too many new toys. Um, it's not that there's none out there. There are some really cool looking toys out there. But it, it would have to be probably something I would find in like a Disney park. Uh, they have like exclusive uh Star Wars and Indiana Jones toys there. So it would probably be something I find there. But right, I think right now it's really just learning even about the old stuff. So it's learning about this background on, on Masters and all this other stuff. Um, it's looking on uh, Instagram right now and, and seeing the new and the old and, and you know, and just being like, oh, I'm, I kind of remember this guy. I, I remember the Battle Damage He-Man. And then it's it's actually the other day I was at my fam my family's house. My brother was talking about it. He was telling his kid how you should be grateful for what you had, and how there was this one toy he always wanted but he never got, and he couldn't remember what it was. It was um, a, a Tonka toy. It's called Big Duke, and uh, you know, just like he couldn't remember the name, but he was like, I know it had a Bronco, and he went camping. I'm like, that is the worst bit of information. Try to look up a toy on. But after doing, after the three of us doing just like Google searches, we found out what it was. And, and, you know, he, uh, he, he, he's like, that's the one. So it's kind of cool just going back and just learning stuff. I think right now that's what makes me is just learning about the, uh, the history of toys. I, I, I just like history of, um, any sort. So I'm kind of a nerd, but, uh, it's cool. Yeah, that's why I'm a big fan of documentaries, especially if they're done well. Exactly, know, um, and I, that's what I loved about um, the uh, the He Man one he did, um, because it just for a guy going in who doesn't know too much, is, I really did learn a lot. Which Star Wars, I kind of feel like if you've read any of Stephen Sansweet's books, especially um, Star Wars from concept to screen to collectible. You kind of kind of learned the whole history if you read it when the book came out. So I wrote, there weren't any surprises in that episode for me. Um, but yeah, if, there, if I could learn something new that I didn't know, uh, I love finding stuff out. Darth Vader's Luke's father. The kid. No spoiler. <laughs> True spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember Turtle Power by Randall Lobb, who also assisted Rob on uh, on Master or. On powers of Grayskull. Turtle Power was a great definitive. I mean, I've spoken to Kevin Eastman about it, and he said it's the greatest documentary about the turtles ever made. Wow. Yeah. That's cool coming from a co-creator. Yeah. 
Yeah. Although it is interesting to find out, though, that the episode of the Turtles on the toys that made us was supposedly the catalyst for TMNT Ronin. That's coming out in August. But uh, an inter- another interesting tidbit. So everyone doesn't know who the mystery Ronin turtle is. Mm-hmm. So a few years ago, Peter Laird did a short story in a comic called Plasma Cafe. In it was Donatello, an old elderly Donatello, sitting in, I guess, his porch in, in, a, in a field. He's reminiscing about his family. He starts crying because of everyone he's lost. So my guess is that, at least I'm hoping, that Donatello is the mysterious Ronin turtle. Hmm. Guess we'll, uh, we'll find out eventually. Yeah, I can't wait for that book. You ever kind of think what would be a cool toy doc? Like you watch them now and or you go uh, for the toys that made us. I really like to see them cover the ghost real Ghostbusters. I'd really like to see them cover, you know, I kind of in some of these toy lines like Remco's Universal Monsters. I love I don't know if you get an hour out of that, but I would love to see more of that stuff. Because like I felt like the second season didn't have much for me. I'm not a Hello Kitty person, you know, and so I, I think I watched one episode. Not even a wrestling fan, but I did watch that one. Just for, you know, just because I did have some of those toys when I was a kid. I remember interviewing Brian uh, Brian Volk Weiss for Toy Lines, and he didn't even think the show was going to go past one season. Really? I, yeah, I asked him the same question you just asked him. You know, what about Transformers? What about GI Joe? What about this line or that line? He said it all takes time. He's mm-hmm. like time. And if he can actually find people that were associated with the line itself. Right, right, right. Like, for some reason, I mean, speaking with Blake Wright a couple of episodes ago, he said he found people for LJN. That's correct, yeah. And they did the uh, Temple of Doom toys. They did that and Thundercats. Yeah, and the the funny thing about the... It's not funny, actually. It's kind of sad. The, the, The sad thing is about the Temple of Doom toys. I had the chance to buy an indie one once at a place called valley fair and um i didn't buy it and the only, there was five toys created three were only released which was indy uh Mularam and the thuggy and short round and willie scott were never released and i that's i, I never got them so i kind of kicked myself to this day for not buying it you know or have my mother buy it when we were there but uh lots of tears toys toys amazing tears the LGN like, people. It's yeah. like when you, oh, I'm sorry. It's no, no. I say like, you know, you have a favorite toy, and what if you lose it? I was at the beach one time, and uh, I had um, my Star Wars toys. I had a, the Luke and the X-wing outfit. I was playing with them in the sand, and I buried them, and then I couldn't find them, and uh, I was like, oh my god! I started getting really nervous, and I thought I found them. It was a friggin' peach pit. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Somebody buried a peach pit. In a... <laughs> I did find my toy. But it makes me think I was a kid then. Actually, it happened last week. But no, I was a kid then. And um, it makes me think of this book called, uh, I believe it's pronounced Roverandom. And uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote it uh, for his son when his son lost his 
toy dog. So it wasn't an actual dog that ran away. It was a toy. And the toy gets lost, comes to life, and it battles like this wizard and all this stuff. And it, you know, comes back to the kid. So it's interesting how toys just have such a meaning to us, especially when you're a little kid. You got that favorite toy. You take it everywhere. And that's like the biggest fear of your life, losing that toy. Especially that's your only fear as a kid. Well, maybe the boogeyman, but like, yeah, that's what you're worried about. It's like, I just want my toys. I, I wish life was that simple still. That's one of the reasons. Like, I always had a strict no outside policy for my toys. So I mean, to your toys I, were indoor toys. They were. They were I took, toys. I mean, except for my, um, except for my vintage He Man figure, he went everywhere with me. It's kind of uh, like in a cloak and dagger. You ever see that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It carries a little, uh, Role-playing figure of uh, Jack Black, and yeah. uh, it's a great. I don't know. I don't know why they haven't remade that movie. By the way, Dabney uh, Coleman, because it's Dabney a perfect Coleman. movie. Henry Thomas from ET. I mean, the movie's great, but you know, the one thing they didn't cover is that there was no basement in the Alamo, and they were there, and they didn't even talk about it. <laughs> I don't get that part, but anyway. So, what other documentaries have you seen about toys? Uh, like, have the, you seen Plastic Galaxy? I have not. And, you know, like, I guess I'm a snob because I I feel like I know enough about Saw Wars, having read um, Sand Sweet's book and his column in the Star Wars magazines over the years. But I would, if it, if it was on, if it was on Netflix or whatever, I would watch it. I would love to see one about the Raiders line. I, I, I always go back to that, but I really would. So would you say Plastic Galaxy? Uh yeah, it's all about Star Wars. About vintage or modern? Vintage. Both? Okay. Well, probably not the Black Series, only because it came out a few years ago. Okay. I know they did a lot of work at um, Rancho Obi-Wan. Very nice. Lot. Yeah, that's yeah, where uh, interviews Sand there. Sweet. I mean, that guy's collection is just like... I couldn't oh, imagine. Can you imagine owning that much stuff of one collection? That's like... Where would you put it? Well, he had to convert. First, he had his house. All right. And he had to put on another floor and then another floor. And then when he went to work for Lucasfilm, he, he moved to, to Marin County and he bought, I guess, like a farmland. And he had an old chicken barn converted into a muse- to the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no chickens in it now, but it was fully converted. And he still has to swap out items um, and rotate them for, for display because people give them fan-made things. And I don't know how you could remember at that point, what you don't have, what you do have. I don't like have the money to do it either. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I, I, I know you can do tours there. You look on the website because it's a, I think it's a nonprofit, but I, I would love to see that collection because it's just like so much there. I don't think you could, guess probably not see it in it all in a day because really when you look at the cases there's probably so much in one case just to really absorb it all mm-hmm. you would need the time probably to you know like people who go to art museums or museums you would want that time to like soak it in and just be like oh wow i had the toy get this memory start remembering things interesting story about lucasfilm i knew a deputy that w- before he became a deputy, he was a construction worker. He was actually helping build Lucasfilm Ranch. Wow. One of his co-workers, because, so the way Lucasfilm is, 
it's some of it is actually buried underground. Really? Yeah. So they were digging the the space for it, and one of his uh, coworkers fell and died. Holy, no kidding. Yeah. George Lucas found out about it, and to this day, he still pays for that family's welfare. He's felt so bad about this. He's put their kids through college. He's paid for their home. I mean, he really stepped up and took care of this family. But that's, you know, that that's really decent of him. And he gets a lot um, for a lot of things. But um, I never knew that. And that's an extremely generous thing to do. Yeah. Um, that, that's a good guy right there to... Uh, you know, God bless him for that. That's, you know, I'm, I'm sure that people are appreciative, but it's very sad that it happened. But, you know, that's, um, that's incredible. So, Tommy, let me ask you this. Okay. Uh, so, our mutual friend, Rich, him and I used to have this discussion because it's not really a debate because it's an opinion. And I've learned at this point in life, uh, you each have, everybody has their own opinion. Who is cooler to you, the hooded Cobra commander? Or the uh, dome, silver dome face one. Which one do you think looks cool? I just want to know who looks cooler. Well, they both have their positives and negatives. Yeah. But personally, I'm a big fan of the hooded Cobra Commander. That's right. See, I I may not have an opinion, but opinion does too. Because I always felt hooded Cobra Commander is much more menacing. Um, So check this out. So Rob Liefeld is a huge G.I. Joe fan. One of, well, actually, a couple of his issues from Youngblood, he had my favorite character, Die Hard, in a hood. I thought he looked the best with that hood. I was like, oh, Cobra Commander reference right there. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, the the reflective plate right. face, very intimidating. That's that's great. You can't if wear I a hood was, in battle. You know, yeah. It's, it's if, I right was, if I was a villain, I'd probably use that look. Yeah. Personally, I think if you're sitting on your throne, not the toilet, but your throne, and you're, you know, you got a Joe in front of you and you're, you know, about to unleash some terror, that's the look you want to go for. But if you're going into battle, you got to go with the, uh, the silver face. And Rich was always a fan of that. I wasn't a fan of the battle armor Cobra Commander. Do you remember that one? No. Yeah. Yeah. He just came like, out. He came out after the movie, and I was like, "Is this a different guy?" I mean, how's yeah. a snake gonna fit in that armor? <laughs> yeah, and it's just I don't know why they did that, but um, you know what it was? It was the uh, Haslabs they're releasing in the classified line that you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, a domed Cobra Commander. Uh, it's going on for pre-order until 2020. And shipping in twelve fifteen, and uh, it, it's a cool looking toy, but it, that just brought me back to the whole thing of um, the that you know which one hood or mask, mm-hmm. like, but the, a mask is effective. Like Darth Vader would look stupid with a hood, right? I, I think now, I mean, anyway, we wouldn't know because we were introduced with with the mask, but that mask has um, it's kind of got like that samurai helmet, but you could almost think of the the face almost like a skeleton. So, uh, you know, it's. Have you seen the new uh, Destro? Isn't it gold? Yeah, I call him Bling Destro. Bling Destro. Or, or Pimp. Pimp Destro. Pimp Destro. So, what's the. And he's pimping out the Baroness, but what's the deal with the gold? I've never known. 
It's just it, it might be in in GI Joe lore. I, I'm not a big uh, GI Joe person, so I saw a picture of it, and you know, this is what I always thought about Destro. Dude's got a, a gold, whatever color plate on his face over his head. Like, how does he talk? Because in the cartoon, that thing just, I think, moves like it's part right. of him. I don't think that really happened. Was he, like, nickel-plated or something? I, I It's it's weird, the, that character. Um, well, he's got millions. He's an arms dealer. So he, he, probably, he probably so figured it out. Instead of getting that, like, gold or silver tooth, he's like, no, no, doing the whole head. Doing the whole head. I don't care. Yep. Cost what? Just, just, just pimp out the Baroness again. That's right. So he, li- he likes his bling. He does. He likes it um, on his head. So, uh, what do we got with news today? Any news? Oh, we got tons. It is all good news, which is nice for a change. So, ready for this? <laughs> Netflix ready. just ordered a season of Usagi Ojimbo, the animated series. The series takes place in a far future set in a world that mixes modern high-tech images with classic Japanese references. It follows the teenage rabbit samurai Yuki, descendant of the great warrior Miyamoto Usagi, on his epic quest to become a true samurai. But he isn't alone. He leads a ragtag team of misfit heroes, including a roguish bounty hunter, a cunning ninja, an acrobatic pickpocket, and his faithful pet lizard. Usagi Ojimbo will be based at 88 Pictures, the same people that gave us Troll Hunters, Fast and the Furious Spy Racers. And the whole show will be CGI with Stan Sakai as producer. They made a Fast and the Furious cartoon? Oh, I think it's um might be the one with the snail. Oh, Turbo. Was that was that Turbo? Uh, was it Ryan Reynolds? Was in that one? I think he voiced the snail. The, in the movie. Yeah, the movie. I mean, yeah, yeah the, the snail movie. Right. It's a racing snail. Um, Netflix is just going all out. Buying up yeah. everything. Yeah, it's nice. I, I mean... Bought, I heard they bought your, your life story, too. They're super in debt. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. They bought my house. Did they really? or, or they gave me money to buy my house. So. That's, that's cool. Yeah, it pays to invest, kids. Especially <laughs> early on. Don't see you can't just spend all your money on toys. No, no, you got to think about money think for about the, future. Like think about it, money for future toys. That's right. Like you said, it's in Batman, Jack Nicholson. Think about the future. Yeah. 89. Tommy, have you heard about the little prince? I have. have but you really? there's two versions. Well, I'm not talking about prince now. No, no, no not right. the singer. No, yes, the right. little, the he, little this, prince. He, he's awesome, by the way, Prince, the singer. But so, so you, you have heard about the little prince. I thought I had you, one up on you. Nope. USA network. See, the, there's two versions that at least that that's what I've been exposed to. There's one version that made a movie a few years ago from France. Mm-hmm. And then there was one that was uh regular pencil and ink cartoon that was on the USA network. Really? Well, see these two, the pencil ink one doesn't, was that from 74? God, I don't remember. Or or are you talking about, or the uh, other one? Are you talking about Netflix? Yes, there is a okay. Netflix one. So is there three or two you're talking? 
I'm only aware of the two. Okay. I know the the French version. I don't know if the original was the French version, but the one with the movie that recently came out that was yes. CGA. Yes, that's actually um, the one that's on Netflix. Is in modern when she's with the aviator, the little girl, the CGI. When she's not, when he's telling the story of how he meets the little prince, that's stop motion, which I thought was a great blend. I recently watched that movie, and it's got a big cast: Jeff Bridges, Rachel McAdams, James Franco, Benicio del Toro, Ricky Gervais, Albert Brooks, Paul Rudd, and Paul Giamatti. There was another one made in 1974 uh, where Gene Wilder played the fox. The only other name I recognized was Clive Revell or Reville. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that last name from correctly, but does the name sound familiar at all? No, not to me. Uh, he was the original voice of the emperor in The Empire Strikes Back. Remember when the emperor's face was like an old woman with orangutan eyes? Right before they replaced it, he was the original voice of the emperor, and I, I know it. I was like, "Why well, that name sounds so familiar?" Um, so that's just like a little piece of negative two cents worth of information I have. But the um, the Boss Fight Studios putting out um, a little prince toy, and uh, the, the figure looks great. He comes on a piece of his of the asteroid he lives on. Um, he comes with his fox, uh, the rose, and a bell jar. Um, the book itself, I actually recently bought because I liked the movie so much and it's very popular in Paris is the book is sold over 200 million copies. Uh, there's 14 million books in France alone, and there's been over 300 official translations. Mm -hmm. It even has its own, um, there's his own store dedicated to him in, in France, Paris. So it's, it's actually pretty cool. It's a, it's a pretty cool movie. Yeah, the TV show was also great. It was it was kind of like a piece of art growing up. Like mm. like it was one of those it was definitely made for kids, but at the same time adults could enjoy it and appreciate yes. it. Yes. It, was, it, it always kind of reminded me of the animated Lord of the Rings. Okay. That Backstreet. that type of yeah. style. That right. type of style, but it, it had more I mean, he went on adventures, he was a little boy, but it had it had more heart than than action so that sounds like an like an actual tv series it was okay so that's actually interesting i never heard of that um the movie itself is like the book and it it it's interesting when you watch the movie or read the book how it's a cross between seeing life through the eyes of a child eyes of a grown-up who forgets thinks you know about mm -hmm. the less important things he's not focused on that excellent though the, the pre-order is um so the pre-order the little prince it's uh going to be 37.99 it's expected to ship in the first quarter of 2021 however um they did say on the site that um because of the current pandemic they're not 100 guaranteed it's shipping at that time yeah i'm really I'm, I'm a fan of the book i'm reading it now i think it's pretty cool so Walmart Con begins tomorrow at 10 a.m., which features products from Mondo Collectibles, McFarlane Toys, Factory Entertainment, and Funko. Walmart so I know, Con? Yeah, I know we'll be talking more about cons at a later time, but right now, how do you feel about all these small companies doing their own conventions? Is it in the store? No, no, it's online. It's going to be... Oh, uh, uh, like, like an online convention? Right, one of those interactive things. I think... Um, we have no choice at the moment. Yeah. I also think 
But why not have just one like like Comic Con? Why not just do it at Comic Con? Because well, Super Seven has point. their own. That's true. DC's they do. doing their yeah. own. Apparently, I, Marvel will be at D twenty three, which is is smart. I know what I actually I think about it. I mean, yeah, it would make sense to do it all um the same day. Maybe it's because they want to get their day to get whatever their product is out. But the way I see it is, if so many people aren't going. Is, and so and so many people hit this site is it going to crash um mm. or everything sell out at once um because that's usually an issue when it comes to things um disney sells these like keys in the store um they're collector keys um and they sell out right away and i think they did something online once and they just it was just like a joke the site couldn't handle the amount of buys they were getting so is this going to happen for any of these companies with their um computers being the virtual convention i guess uh, i mean we don't really know i guess it's just a, a wait and see kind of thing but uh, it is an interesting way to have a convention during covid yeah i mean these are weird times so i mean we're adapting which is nice but yeah i'm, I'm kind of curious now to see mm. if if it'll crash or if anybody yeah. that wants to participate can. I guess that was negative of me to come out with. But that's no, really, no. It's, it's that's really what I thought of. I it's like, it's a reality we're living in today. You know? Yeah. I mean, People you know. Wearing masks, spreading disease. It's I mean, like, remember in the day when you would buy tickets, um, you'd have to call up to get concert tickets, you know, or trying to get through the line and you get that busy, busy num signal. Yeah. You know, to piss you off, you know. It's yeah. just like, come on. Yeah, we're old folks. We are. We're we're old, but we're thinking like a new generation That's for right. our sponsors. Tommy, yes. just remember you mentioned those uh, little people toys for Message of the Universe. Yep, they're it's available on pre-sale. Yeah, they're doing a Lord of the Rings set, which is actually kind of cool. I, right. I, I love Lord of the Rings. It's going to be released September 2020. The pre-orders are now set 34.99. You can get it at the Big Bad Toy Store. The bot the set includes Frodo, Gandalf, Legolas, Gimli, Strider, and Auron, and they're adorable. My only complaint is that I wish there was two sets coming out because I would like to have seen all the hobbits involved, mm. uh, Mary, Pippin, and Sam. Um, they could have thrown in uh, Gollum, just make him cute instead of scary looking. You know, you don't want to give that to a baby, but. Uh, it's kind of it's it's a cool looking toy set. I I think it's pretty well. And if I uh, if my nephew was um, a baby, I would be giving that to him or a preschool or whatever. I'd be giving that to him just to annoy my brother and to get him into Lord of the Rings so I can talk to somebody in my family about Tolkien. Now we saw these at Toy Fair last year or this past February. The 20th anniversary X Men figures from Marvel Legends are now available for purchase at HasbroPulse.com. These are the likeness of the actors from that first X-Men movie. And they have swappable heads, the first-class generation of actors. So you can have both Patrick Stewart from the first X-Men and McAvoy's head on the second. Dude, don't lose your head. You know, mm -hmm. just like the headless horseman. Uh, <laughs> the headless Picard. Mezco's King Kong coming out the uh, kong of skull island uh this is based on the 1930s kong thank god it's on pre-order 
it's actually forty dollars, which is a pretty decent price for, for something this, that big. Seventeen yeah. inches. It's it's gorgeous. Um, twenty eight points of articulation, two interchangeable heads, five hands. Now I know we gorillas and humans only have two. This is because it comes with two sets of hands and a, an additional hand to put into one arm, which would hold the figurine that it comes with of Andaro, played by Fei Ray. And it comes with a, a set of shackles, which are supposedly real chains. I I saw a picture today on the Instagram of Mitchell Wu, his photography site, where I think that was his, I think he had that. And I guess he was doing a promotion for it, but um, that toy is so cool looking. We're not big on rumors here at Toy Lines, but this rumor, or actually we have two rumors today. I'm just going to throw it out there because it's a great topic to discuss. Throw it. Throw it like a gorilla throws his poop. <laughs> Hayden Christensen will reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker in the Disney Plus series Obi-Wan Kenobi. I like it. I, I do too. Here's what I, this is. I was thinking about this. He gets a lot of garbage for that movie, which I don't think is fair because mm-hmm. like we said, and I'm not trying to trash Lucas after I just praised him. His directing is faster, more intense. He did how he was told to direct. You can't say he ruined the movie. It's just not right. I think it's cool if they have him back because at this point, you would figure Obi-Wan's a little grayer. He's been on Tatooine. He's probably got guilt, PTSD. And I like to think that he's haunted by it. Maybe every time he closes his eyes, he sees Anakin you know, when his limbs cut off. Maybe he remembers the fight. Maybe he sees him, even though he left him to burn. Maybe Anakin comes to him all burnt and scarred up and, and just mentally, you know, it's Obi-Wan, but is mentally tormenting itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they'll do flashbacks, you know, a little um, CGI de-aging. So, I mean, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but if this rumor is true, I think it's kind of cool. It's a, it's an interesting rumor, too, because it it's, it's a good sign that... Uh, Disney's trying to do things right. And along that lines, did you hear about the Bad Batch? I heard, I did. I didn't look into it. Produced by David Filoni, follows the adventure of an elite experimental clone force during the aftermath of the Clone Wars. This ragtag group will take on daring missionary missions as they find a new purpose in a galaxy far, far away. So this makes me think, I don't know why, if the, if the reference is accurate of like the dirty dozen right or a, a type of movie like that it sounds kind of cool i do need to go back and watch clone wars um i admit it uh now which version the disney plus version that's on now the or the dave filoni version yeah i need to watch that again i really liked the uh jendy tartakovsky that show was incredible i loved it i loved um, it it was to me that's it the was, clone wars Exactly. It was perfection at its at its Star Wars finest. Yeah. Nothing taking nothing away from Filoni. He's done some amazing yeah. things with the Clone Wars. And the Mandalorian. And the Mandalorian. Oh, especially the Mandalorian. Yeah. But, but uh, Gendy's Gendy's Clone Wars, my favorite episode, or, or my second favorite thing in Star Wars was that short episode where Anakin fully becomes a Jedi Knight. Is that when they cut the, the braid off with the lightsaber? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there was he just had so much action crammed into so few minutes, but story as well. 
and that's mm -hmm. the thing you know usually it's one or the other usually it's just explosions he put everything into to this and they were just they were excellent i mean i loved them i i, I don't think they're out on dvd either it's just kind of all right so here's the story on that so apparently before lucas sold to disney he went into the archives and said this is canon this is not canon so apparently Gendy's Clone Wars is not official canon. Okay. You can watch it. You can find them on YouTube. Yep. But as far as a linear Star Wars story, they're not a part of. And that's what's funny about canon is that, you know, George Lucas created Star Wars. So he gets to say what's canon or not. I get it. You know, right. extended, extended universe doesn't count. Basically, it was his ideas. It's his concept. But as a as a fan you could always consider it is you know just of as course. you know it's consider something is yeah you're right? you're personal yeah so like um i guess disney stuck with that when they bought it you know and they just went with that but it's a it's a shame because even if that was considered a, this brief part of clone wars um out of, even like in the floney era it would be cool because just the amount of work and, and it was like a just beautiful like when mace windu took on that whole army of droids and it was just like you're seeing him do stuff that you've never seen before uh jedi mm -hmm. do you're just like holy crap yep samuel yeah. jackson missed the boat on that one yeah good stuff good stuff good stuff yeah uh yeah so that 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 actually does sound kind of cool that show um i'd like to check that out um, and our second rumor so for all you gamers out there apparently the release date for playstation 5 is rumored to be released on November 20th with a hefty price tag of $500. What do you get for 500 besides the PlayStation 5? That's it. Like a any... console and one controller, probably. But like, you know, is there net, you know, Netflix and play DVDs or any of that kind of stuff? Or is it just there's two, there's going to be two uh, versions. There's one that's all digital. And then there should be another one, I believe, with a DVD slot. And they'd both be priced at 500 Well, they're saying, according to this, they're saying that there may be either a $50 price difference or a $100 price difference. Wow. That's that's why I don't play video games anymore, because you know, the more they create new systems... They're too advanced for me. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm still a Pac-Man, turtled-in-time yeah. Nintendo guy. Yeah, give me the error from Atari twenty six hundred up to Super Nintendo, um, and I, I love the classic NES. Um, Super Nintendo was excellent. Um, I kind of stopped there because when they started putting more buttons on controllers, I, I couldn't work it. I, honestly, I can. Um, and when it, you know you switch to like the POV view, mm -hmm. I might as well just put the control down and go have a drink because I can't do that. I it's like I can't see. Uh, if anybody is a fellow Disney geek, um, and if you're a fan of Hocus Pocus, the movie, by the way, not the actual thing, Funko has a exclusive items coming out for this Halloween from Spirit Halloween Stores. There will be uh, a Billy Butcherson pop. Billy Butcherson was kind of like that zombie who comes up in the graveyard. He is played by Doug Jones, uh, or an early young Doug Jones. 
and they are making Pez of Winifred, Sarah, and Mary. So I know um, Hocus Pocus has become a lot more popular over the years. Uh, they made a, a book sequel to it, and they're supposed to reboot it. It hasn't been really any words. I think Kenny Ortega is going to direct it again. But, um, you know, it's, it's got a pretty big following. Usually it was formerly the ABC Family Network, and there's now Freeform, which I hate the name of that channel. Or whatever they call it nowadays, plays it nonstop when in uh, around October. Uh, oh. But yeah, but uh, Spirit has a ton of official Hocus Pocus merchandise. Just be careful with it; you might turn into a cat. Okay, folks, just want to give out a shout out to Brian Salvatore for our music, Shared Universe Podcast Studio, and once again, thank you to our guest Rob McCallum of Action Figure Adventure. Please join the conversation at toyspodcast at gmail.com. Listen to us at Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podbeam, Spotify. And now, as of today, we are on iHeartRadio. Nice. And Please if, you, if you can't do that, folks, get a can with a string and another tin can. Just put it to your ear. We'll take care of it. Please subscribe to us or give us a rating or do both. Follow us on social media at Twitter at Toy Lines, Instagram at Toy Lines, and Facebook at Toy Lines or Toy Shelf Magazine. Stay safe and play with your toys. Take care, everybody. Take care, guys.